Well, if you can't get festive after that song, I don't know what's your problem this morning. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Well, that is about as festive as it gets. I didn't know that we were going to play that song. Uh, so, uh, good morning, everyone. Are you guys ready? What are you ready for? Are you really? You got your, your trees up? You got your decorations up? You got your presents all wrapped? Oh, okay, well, then you're not like my wife. She's got them already organized in the closet. I uh, have no idea every year who gets what. I have no clue. I'm just as surprised as the kids when they open up their presents. And I just got to make look at my wife saying, do we get them that? Okay. All right, so, so welcome, welcome to what we would call our three weeks of celebrating what we would call Christmas here on earth, but Christmas to us is every day. Amen? All right, okay, good, because for a second I was like, did they know that? Okay, all right, good. All right, so I'm glad that you guys are aware, and I'm excited about that, and um, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's a new day, and we're excited, but here, we're calling this series really simple. I am not going into an apologetic series. I'm not going into an historical series about Jesus. Um, that would bore you probably a little bit. Although you define it to be somewhat fascinating, maybe one year we'll hopefully do that. But for me, uh, we just want to make sure that we can make this as practical as possible, but yet realize, too, in our lives that if every day is, is Christmas, then what difference is it going to make to the world who desperately needs the Jesus of Christmas? Let me just share with you guys, it was 30, almost 33 years ago, um, in fact, it was around 33 years ago, that I came to understand and realize who Jesus is and how important he is in the life of those who are created by him. And so it's important for us to understand that at Christmas season, something changed for me. That's when I truly understood and came to Christ. 1988, a long time ago, 20 years old, and it came where God, the Holy Spirit, revealed to me who the Son, the Son of God, the incarnate Christ, the one whom I saw for years in the Catholic Church, but didn't come in connection until I came and surrendered to the Lord. And it was in that season, just slowly after that, that I realized that God made it clear to me that Jesus was more than this baby born in a manger. There was more than the Christ who was sitting on a cross in a building. It was more, much more. And my life changed, and it's never been the same. It's been a good thing. It's been a beautiful thing. God has changed me and continues to. I don't claim I got it all together because I don't, but I know he does. And I pray that we would understand that he is the only way, the true and only way. When the Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he really is. When we experience that and we recognize it's not just mere words in a book. It's not just mere words laid out in black and white. There's the power of the Holy Spirit that works through the word of God. Because it's not just mere Words that we can understand because we can't understand. I was searching and seeking. At 15 years old, I was even looking at a Catholic Bible in our, in our house, and it made no sense to me. 
19 years old as a car salesman, sitting there with a New Testament in front of me, trying to read it because I was searching and seeking, and it made no sense to me until the Lord revealed to me who he was, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made some great sense to me because growing up, I had no clue what it meant. And so it's important for us to understand that he is the true and only way. You know, we... Uh, my wife and I and our children, we go to Williamsburg quite a bit uh, because it's the only place that we can go on our timeshare that's on our timeshare. And uh, we go there more often than anywhere else. If we go anywhere else, it's because there's some kind of gift attached to it. But um, at Colonial Williamsburg, just this past year, uh, we've gone there enough, but we forget sometimes some of the buildings and what they are uh, what goes on in some of these buildings, but even outside, it was, I believe it was the governor's mansion that we were in, and then we went into the back near the garden area, there was a maze, hedges, and we walked through a maze. And what I remember quite vividly here this past summer was that we had to figure our way into the middle of the maze so we can get out of the maze. And each time you make a turn, it looks like it's the way to get to the next spot so we can go and get into the middle. But we found ourselves kind of stuck. We would hit a spot and go, oh, go back. But then we found a couple in front of us or coming towards, like just getting in front of us, and they started moving a little bit faster. I said, let's follow them. So we started following a couple, and they were hitting a couple spots where they were missing. And then we just kind of backtracked, and then we found we eventually got into the middle. And as we got into the middle, then we had to get out of the maze. And so we were able to get out of the maze. But again, getting out of it was even a struggle. And then as you walk in the back, if some of you know what I'm talking about, you get up on the stairs and you go up to just the top of a small little area of a hill, I call it. You look back and you see the maze from on top. And you look back and you look, oh, wow. Oh, that, that, that's how you get to the middle. Oh, I see the, the way to get there now. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Isn't it funny that we could look back at the maze after we've been at eyesight when we're walking through at this level, but when we get up top, we can look down and realize, oh, is that how you get through it? You ever feel like that in our walk with Christ? Feel like you're following a maze? You don't know which turn to take. You're supposed to be following God's way, and you think you're going in the right direction, and you make turns and believe it's the right way until you hit a certain point. You said, ah, man, that wasn't the right way. God, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you make me go down this road? Why did you make me go down this road? Or, or could have been if we had knew the right way, would we still argue with God? What if God would have show us the right way? What if he says, yeah, go down this road, this is the right way? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, Lord. Do you see there's some trouble going on down there? Yeah, go down there. But I see some potholes over there, Lord, and uh, there's, some, there's no lights going on down that road right there. I don't see any lights. I don't, can't even see where it's at. He goes, just go. But, Lord, uh, I think we need to talk. Can, can we talk a second? Because I, I don't like the way. To, Lord, I don't like the way this road. I, Lord, can we talk, please? Because I don't like it. Lord's like, yes, you can. Just go down that road. I told you. Obey me. How often does it seem like it's a maze? Would you still argue with God if you told go on a road that, that involves sufferings, trials, tribulations? 
And if God said, yeah, you need to go down that road in order to reach the goal that I have for you, you got to go down this road. Would we argue with him? Because it's his way, and sometimes his way does involve that. Struggles. Impossible situations to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's why Jesus came. So for making wrong turns in a maze, is, are those wrong turns based on our stubbornness, our selfishness, our pride? We want our way. But God's saying, go my way, but I want my way. Will God leave us there? Or will he make a way out for us? Even when we're going through it. See, what I want to understand is that he's a baby, but he's still the king. When we want our way, we're not submitting to the king. He's Lord, and we want his way. We've got to submit even if we don't understand which way he's going. Even if it looks dark and gloomy with a lot of potholes and scary people down the road, and it looks really, he's saying go down that road. See, God is the, he's our way maker. He's the one who's provided that way. We've got to believe him for it. We trust God in that way, or we want to go in our own way. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to actually work through a passage, a very familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to talk about other passages around it, but we're going to look at a very familiar passage about the birth of Jesus. We're going to travel back 700 years prior to the Messiah's birth. We need to look at the prediction of the Messiah's birth through the prophet Isaiah and find out about this earthly king at that time, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, who's been told that this kingdom of Judah will cease to exist because of their sin. He was told, it was, it was prophetic, it was told to them by Isaiah. And when Israel and Syria joined forces to fight against Assyria, King Ahaz refused to join the Israelites. And so what he did was the northern kingdom prepared to dethrone King Ahaz. However, Ahaz knew that Judah could not match up to the two. So what did he do? Well, he decided he wanted to go in a different direction. He wanted to go his way. Because see, God was preparing a place for him, he wanted him. He said, he's, I'm going to set something up for you. But Isaiah or Ahaz didn't want to follow God's way. In fact, look with me to chapter 7 of Isaiah. I want you to turn to your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. Chapter 7, verse 9. Because the Lord is speaking, and he's speaking even to Ahaz. And he's saying this in verse 9. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, what he's saying there is that the word firm is to stand firm. It means to believe. The actual Hebrew word is to believe. So he's saying if you're not going to believe in that, standing firm in your belief, you will not stand firm at all. This was important for Ahaz to stand firm because he was a Davidic king. And God called on his kings to submit and to stand firm. Now, there's two words there, two words that are talking about faith. And so it's important to understand here that at the first one, it means to believe, but it means that the Davidic house had to stand firm with God. 
So that's the first one. The second one indicates the need to stand firm for political existence on earth. So they had to stand firm in the Davidic house, and the Davidic house that would stand forever, which is the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 16, your house and your throne will endure, will stand firm. But Ahaz had to believe God in order for the Davidic king line to continue. We have to understand this. This is so important because the kings who represented at the earthly kings had to believe and trust God when their enemies were coming against them, when they seemed like they were in an impossible situation, when they were walking down this road of tribulation and trial and suffering, they needed to believe God. God's way was saying, you're going to fight. You're going to fight on my behalf, and I'm here with you. I'm going to fight. I'm with you. Now, here's where we get the idea of God with us, Emmanuel, because God plans always to be with us. He says, I will be with you. I am the Lord. So he promises them to be with them because he says there's yet to be a king who will come, the son, the messianic Davidic king who will come. He goes, but I need you to stand firm right now. But here was his options. Ahaz could either do nothing, do the best he can, do the best he can and trust God, or go his own way. See, and he... He desired to to go his own way. But as Christians, what are our options today? (laughs) Do nothing? Just sit back? Be apathetic? Don't believe? Don't trust? Do the best we can in our own strength? Do the best we can and trust God? Or trust God for his way and believe it's perfect? See, it's subtle. Because you might say, wait a minute, now, now, Bruno, you're telling me I shouldn't do anything? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying I shouldn't give my best? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying that I should not give my best and trust God? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we need to trust God for his way. It's not about us. We're going to see that just in a short time. See, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas as the coming of the Messiah, born in a manger, the humble, eternal king in human form, the deity of Christ, the incarnate Christ, the Emmanuel, God is with us. God with us. Promises to be with us. The sign of the Son, the eternal one. If we know God is with us, do we live like he's with us? That's a question. What about the world? Do they know God is with us through the demonstration of faith in our lives? Do they see a difference in us? See, if God is with us, how are we demonstrating that? I mean, if Christmas is the message that God is with us because he sent his son, that the son of God came to the world to give us life, what is it? If we're Christian, we bear the name of Christ, how is that different in the world? If the world who says they don't know Jesus, how are we different? We have to ask those questions because that's what Christmas is really about. And so we have to understand that if God is with us, how do we we reconcile that in our hearts? How do we do that? I think we need to be reminded again. Think today if you're a child of God and you're struggling to believe God in the midst of everything we've been going through, this whole 21 months of crazy, this uncertainty, the, the unsure ways in which we have to follow through, not sure what to do next, what's, 
What's the future going to look like, the new normal, the deconstruction of our faith? What are we going to do? I, I think sometimes we as a people of God, this Christmas needs to be the one that we need to be reassured that God is with us and that he cares for us and that he loves us and that he wants something for us to do. How can we be reassured? Well, let me just, just share this with you. I think there's a couple of things. God is with us because he's provided the perfect way through his promised plan. It's a promised plan. Look with me to chapter 7. And before you get to 14, I just want to read with me verses 10 through 13. Because it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as the heaven. Meaning, come on, let's do this together. Just ask me. I will, I will provide it for you. I'll provide a perfect plan for you, Ahaz. Just ask me. But he refused. He refused to ask. It says, it says even it says, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. He uses some excuse. I won't put you to the test. I won't ask. But the Lord is like, ask me. <laughs> ask me. I'll give it to you. Just ask me for the plan. He goes, nah, I don't want to put you at the test. Nah, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to ask you. He didn't care because he wanted his way. He didn't ask because he wanted his way. He didn't want the Lord's way. He didn't want his plan. He wanted his plan. See, Ahaz wanted his plan. What was his plan? To count on Assyria to fight off Samaria, the northern kingdom. See, he didn't want to be dethroned, so he looked to a stronger country to a stronger, more viable country that could take over and overcome them. That's what he was looking for. So you see that this whole idea of, of Jesus with the, with the Emmanuel God with us, with the divine prophecy that is ahead, the coming son, he didn't want any to do with it. He didn't want anything to do with it. And so the plan is clear, but he comes out and he says it in verse 14, we see, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Since you don't want it, I'm going to give it to you anyway. God says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Meaning, you don't want me? Don't worry about it. I already have a Davidic king that's coming who's going to bring glory and honor. He is the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Davidic king that will come. He's the one whom all in the Old Testament were looking for. See, he wasn't receiving it because he was dull to hearing. You understand that the northern kingdom of Israel were going to be ultimately judged through the coming of the Assyrian captivity in, in 670 B.C. This was around 722 B.C., but in about 65 years ahead, in 670 B.C., the Assyrian Empire will bring a captivity upon the Israelites and all the land. And God promised to take care of his people even through Ahaz. But Ahaz refused, and he went on his own way. He went on his own way. How often do we choose to go our own way? Multiple times a day. <laughs> we all do it. We choose to go our own way, but God is trying to teach us he's got a perfect plan. See, here's, here's what Ahaz's problem was. He said in chapter 6 of 9 and 10, it wasn't Ahaz who said this, but the prophet, was just like, he said, you go and say to his people, keep on hearing. God was saying, go to, to Isaiah, go and say to his people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not receive. He says, make the heart of these people, these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Meaning they're stuck in their ways. They're dull. God said they're going to be dull. 
They're hearing, they're seeing, they're not going to believe. They're refusing. They want to go their own way. God, unless, God said, unless they want to turn and believe and trust me and to go my way, they're going to fall into their own way. And it's idolatry. It's sin. And it's important to see that God has this perfect plan, but he refused and he goes, that's okay. He goes, because I'll have one in the future. And sometimes it's difficult when we don't hear, when we're set in our ways. It's difficult to hear God when we want our own way. That's why it's an understandable thing. When he says to us in Isaiah chapter 9 and 6, he says, for us, for us, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. See, the word there that's key is not us. We got to be careful with the word us. We got to look at the word given. See, God gives. It's not about us. See, when God gives us a son, it's not about what we can get from it. It's what we can give to God. In fact, I have this little statement here that says, our value doesn't come from what we do for God, but what God is doing in us. That's the key. It's not about what we're doing for him. It's ultimately what he's doing in us. When we're surrendered, when we look to him, when we're trying to say, God, it's all about you, do we still believe he's still in us and with us? For what purpose, ours or his? Why were we created? Is it God's desire to make himself known through his son? God with us simply means that he bought us with a price so we can make Christ known through us. See, it's not about us being in the know. It's about making God known to the world. See, God sent his son, God with us, Emmanuel, so that we could have a relationship with him. His plan was for us to be intimate with him so that when we know him, we can make him known to others. And so the God who lives in us is about him. It's not about us. Now watch on that because sometimes we see that message, but we get caught up in the us rather than in the him because it's about him, not us. See, God will never leave us nor forsake us, not because of us, but because he's faithful to himself. He is faithful to his plan. He is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to all that he has to do, and it's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit's deposited in us for that purpose. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide us and direct us and convict us and help us to stay on the way, the perfect plan of God, not to go our own way. That's why whenever we're struggling, we're going in our own way, and when we're struggling in a marriage and we want our own way, or our children want their own way, and we want to get our own way as parents, or when we're struggling when we're at work and we want our own way, but our boss tells us we have to do it a certain way, and we don't like the boss, and the boss doesn't like the workers, but also it just goes into all of this, our neighbors and our family members, everybody wants their way, but God is saying, wait a minute, how do we follow him for his way? How do we surrender to him? And see, God is saying, because he's teaching all of us, and we're convicted every time we look in the scriptures, it's not about us. It's about following him in his way. And so he is faithful to us. He continues to do that. How many guarantees do we have today? Not many. We look at the media. We look at politics. We look at people. 
can't put our trust in much today. <laughs> People are changing like the wind even worse. Moods are swinging left and right. I mean, worse than ever. Everybody's highly sensitive. Everybody's barking and attacking and picking at every little thing. And that's a normal living. But then you add a little pandemic in there, and then it goes crazy. And you have a little injustice going on in our world, and the media takes over. And then you're fighting, 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 arguing, 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 attacking, attacking, attacking. And what happens is it's in us. But God is saying that God is still with us. Even when we sin, even in our sin, God is still with us and he's for us. Isn't that amazing? That God is still with us and for us even in our sin. Isn't that an awesome guarantee? That even when the world can't stand us, even when believers can't stand one another, God is still for us. But we have to be together in unity for the sake that when God is for us, we can get through anything because it is God who keeps us unified. He's established a unity and he has to keep us through the unity. And we have to realize that God is for us. Also, the focus is God in us, and it's not for his glory, not ours. That's what it's all about. That's where this focus is. So number two, God is with us because he provided a perfect way through his promised protection. Now, this is key, promise protection. As you look at Isaiah, Isaiah 9, verse 6, and I'll call it verse 6b, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. We understand this too, and, and we understand this because of when he comes here in Christmas, it's more than just Christmas. It's the promised Messiah that involves not only his birth, but the millennial kingdom on earth. The son of God, the Davidic king, the eternal one will reign on earth as a theocratic king in a theocratic government. So what does that mean for us today? We have to be reminded of this almost every week, that we, are, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a theocracy. As a people of God bought with a price, we bear the name of Christ. We live in a theocracy. And so it's God in us. So when we're representative, Christ representers, ambassadors for Christ, we're out there in the world and we're sharing about what Christ has done for us. We have to be representative. So God in us, how are we different? Why? Because the world is not for us, but yet we want to be like the world. Wasn't that their fight for the Israelites in 1 Samuel chapter 8? When they were fighting with Samuel about being like the nations, wanting a king, yet they were crying out. They didn't want God anymore. They wanted an earthly king like the other nations. Well, what did God do? God said, no problem. Give them a king because it falls all into my what? My plan. It's all a part of my plan. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be the Davidic king. He will reign on earth for a thousand years, and he will rule and reign. And he will strike the nations. No nation will come. That's what it's all about with the future eschaton. The future eschaton is that Jesus will win. Amen? All right. So in Revelation, we understand as well. But it was a, it was a prophecy. Even a messianic psalm. Psalm 2, verse 9. I love it. It says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Awesome. Man, talk about an action film. <laughs> Can you imagine? Avengers can't even come close. Sorry, y'all. I love Avengers, but you know what? Put Jesus in the movies, man, and just show forth the Old Testament. Man, it makes Avengers look like a puppet show, right? Y'all feel me? You think Avengers is cool with all that text and all, but you know what? Jesus, he's going to break it all. He's a strong God. But you know what? What I love about Jesus is he's a shepherd. Cares for his sheep. He's a protector. See, unlike Ahaz. See how it's following? 
Ahaz, he was not a shepherd. He didn't care about anybody but himself. He was selfish. He didn't obey God. He went his own way. Contrasting to the Davidic son, the divine Davidic son, who's the shepherd who cares for his people and rules over them because he loves them. He leads them like a good shepherd. I love when you look in the scriptures of the New Testament, it says the true shepherd protects his sheep. The true shepherd cares for and nurtures his sheep. The true shepherd protects his sheep from the wolves. The other nations from the Old Testament and beyond always attempted to kill and destroy God's people. Why? Because Satan is the god of this age. He hates God. He hates God's people. He hates your marriages. He hates your children. And he'll do anything to destroy the church. You believe that? I believe it. He'll do whatever he has to do to destroy, and he'll do it subtly. He'll do it because he's a false teacher. Why? He speaks half-truths. Watch out. That's what Satan does. That's what demons do. They speak half-truths. And we have to understand that God, I love when Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that I may give life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the Davidic king. That's the son of God. He didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, another important truth about a shoulder, where do we carry our stress? On our shoulders. Carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, right, that expression? Financial difficulties, marriage problems, career choices, issues at work, children with troubled marriages, moving, new job, new career, dealing with difficult people in your life, family issues, your favorite team can't make the playoffs again this year until we surrender the weight of all these things in our lives over to God. Sunday afternoons, a lot of weight is on your shoulders. The burdens and struggles we will never experience, God delivers and protects. This is when we really understand the importance of trusting the Lord. This is so important. I just love where it says in Revelation. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. But yet he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd. See, we can't experience God's protection until we admit we need it. Until we admit we need it. We need to understand that. That is so key. So God is with us because he provided a perfect way through his promised person. Just love this again. It says his name shall be called. Now I stop there. Now you guys are thinking, wait a minute, you're going to stop it? His name shall be called? Yes, because name means character. That's what the word means, character, reputation. And we're going to see four different names, names, but there's actually eight names in the Hebrew titled up with four different titles. And we're just going to touch on very quickly on one of those today. But I love what he says in Isaiah 45, 21 and 23. He says, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. This is the Lord speaking, who told this long ago, who declared it of old. Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Then he goes, turn to me and be saved. 
He's offering salvation to all peoples, all the ends of the earth, the Abrahamic covenant. For I am God and there is no other. He goes on, he goes, by myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is where we get Philippians 2.11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is curious. This is Yahweh coming together, the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. See, it's not about us. It's about his glory. It's about God's glory. See, that's what I love when it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's who it is. That's what you connect 700 years before his birth. Do you notice that God never gave them the time when he said that there is yet a, a Davidic king that's to come? He never gave them the time. 700 years later, he said he's going to come. No, he didn't give them any time. Do you know why I believe he, he does that? Because if we knew, I think we'd mess it up. Just like the maze. Do you know if you look back, I was looking back and thinking, yeah, I know how to get there now. I still think I'd argue with someone. Well, no, no, you got to go that way. No, 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 you got to go that way. No, 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 it's right here. Look, look, it's really clear. No, 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 you got to go around the other way. We'd sit there and mess it all up if God told us ahead of time what's going to happen in our lives. If he showed us the way and we knew exactly what was going to happen, I'd mess it up. But he only said this. He said, this is the only way. Follow Jesus. <laughs> Trust in Jesus. Lean on Jesus. You may not know where you're going, but you know it's a guarantee. It's a promise. He's going to take care of you. And we believe that that's faith. We're leaning on it. We're trusting. We're putting our weight on it. That's what it means. That even though I don't know what's ahead of me, I know that he's before me. And he's got a plan, and it's his plan, and it's perfect. And if it's perfect, he's perfect, so I'm going to trust him for it. Because I'm not perfect. I'm imperfect. I'm going to mess it all up. So we lean on him. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It's a deposit. He is God. He's the one who's showing us and leading and guiding us. Who does he glorify? Who does he glorify? Who does the Holy Spirit glorify? Jesus. John 16, 13 through 16. Jesus. Who does Jesus glorify? The Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinitarianism can't have trinity without the gospel, gospel without trinity. You need all three. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's deposited. Until when? 2 Corinthians chapter what? 121 and 22. He told, until when? Until the day of redemption. When's redemption? To the end. That's what we have. That's what God's given us. That's where we're at. Seeing his person, that's where it's ultimate. See, it's whose name do we call on when uncertainty comes? Is it Jesus? What name, or is it the media? Or is it Facebook, Instagram? Or is it Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, whichever one you want to call? Is that who the Holy Spirit is in our lives? Or are we calling on Jesus? You could say, yeah, yeah, amen, I call on Jesus, but what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? That's the conviction. We need to call on Jesus. It's the name of Jesus, our first choice or our last resort. 
That's the name of Jesus. Because this prophecy, this prediction from Isaiah is saying that this God who is to come in, in human form, he's the one who is to come, the Messiah. And he calls out his names. He says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But we're just going to touch on wonderful counselor. Let me just share with you what wonderful counselor means. Well, you get the word two names here, wonder. In the Hebrew word, wonder means the one who plans a miracle, one who is a miracle worker. A wonder of a counselor. So it's the idea of strategically setting it up. Counselor means, it means a military strategist devising a plan. <laughs> One who gives marvelous counsel. Why? Because he knows what's ahead. He has the plan. It's perfect. He's always working. He's working out the plan. You and I don't have to work out a plan. We just have to submit to the one who's working out the plan. <laughs> he's the mighty, wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, but he's the wonderful. He's the one who's working out the miracles. He's the one who takes care of things. He is what we call our way maker. Jesus is our way maker. He's the one who's taking care of us. He's the one who brings, he's the source of miraculous events. This is what a commentary says. I love it. It says, since God is the source of our miraculous events and his plans are the wisest counsel to follow, God will work in and through his son to demonstrate his extraordinary wisdom to plan wonderful, miraculous things. These unspecified wonderful plans will be the subject of the later revelation. We don't know exactly how it's all going to turn out. But we know that Jesus wins. That's what we know. So we're on the winning team. We call on the name of Jesus, not as a last resort, but the first resort. In the uncertainty, we call on the name of Jesus. God is always strategizing that plan. What if God decides to allow the impossible to occur in our lives to demonstrate that only he could perform the miracle? The impossible neighbor co-worker that God would never save for his or her sin unless you were interested to share the great news of what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Or the family member who doesn't deserve Jesus Christ because of all the sin he or she has committed and you know all about it. You know them all and believe God couldn't do that gracious work. God is always working out a plan. He's always at work. Even in that song, Waymaker, even though I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even though I don't feel that you're working, God is always working. He's working out a plan. You know, um, Jesus began his ministry, Matthew 4, Capernaum, and it was quoted Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. And I want to just read it to you. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. See, that's the hope of Jesus. That's the hope that we have for Christmas, the coming of Jesus, that there will be, although darkness, there could be light in Jesus. Although there could be depression, God will offer that light through his son. And he did because Jesus went to the Israelites and then he went, did most of his ministry in Galilee to reach those who were far away. That's the Abrahamic covenant. See, God was presenting not just to bring this glorious son to be born in a manger, humble, but that you and I, who know Christ today, it's not about being in the know, but it's about making him known. And God is making a way, not only for you and I, but he's making a way for us to share that message, that Christmas message. The beauty of it. So in uncertainties, we shouldn't. When we are uncertain about our plans, know that God has a certain plan for our lives and for his glory. So we can't get stuck in our world when God wants to take us down a certain way so that when he works in our lives, we can then, you know, declare his, his worthiness and his glory and his praise. That's what he's calling us to do today. With uncertainty, we can be Certain. I want to just share something from a book, Radical. This is so important for us today especially. I love what David Platt shared about Christianity. He said this. As wonderful, he said, he said that, that if you're going to ask the average Christian sitting in a worship service on a Sunday morning to summarize the message of Christianity, you would most likely hear something along the lines of the message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or someone might say, the message of Christianity is that God loves me enough to send his son, Jesus, to die for me. As wonderful as this sentiment sounds, it is, is it biblical? Is it incomplete based on what we have seen in the Bible? God loves me is not the essence of biblical Christianity. Because if God loves me is the message of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? God loves me? Me? Christianity? The object is me. Therefore, when I look for a church, I look for the music that best fits me and the programs that best cater to me and my family. When I make plans for my life and career, it's about what works best for me and my family. When I consider the house I will live in and the car I will drive and the clothes I will wear and the way I live, I will choose according to what is best for me. This is the version of Christianity that largely prevails in our culture. But it is not biblical Christianity. The message of biblical Christianity is not God loves me, period, as if we're the object of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I may make him known. His ways, his salvation, his glory, his greatness, known among all the nations. Now, God is the object of our faith, and Christianity centers around him. We are not the end of the gospel. God is. God centers on himself even in our salvation. Remember his words in Ezekiel, he saves us not for our sake, but for the sake of his holy name. When we receive salvation so that his name will be proclaimed to all the nations, God loves us for his sake in the world. God with us, Emmanuel, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. He's the way maker. He's going to make a way for his glory, for his praise, for his plan. He will protect us. It's about his person. It's his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for reminding us today. You are glorious, Lord, and we praise you. He took a couple extra minutes today to say how glorious you are. You came here to be born in a manger, Jesus. You came humbly. We're grateful for that. And I pray that you would help us and remind us as we so desperately need to be as your people that Christianity isn't about us. It's about you. And you've called us to make you known. We just simply need to surrender to you and know you and be intimate with you and make you known to the world. Father, I pray that we would see that. Help us, Lord, and our hearts surrendered to you. May we understand that you truly are the only one who can make a way for us. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to live for you. Help us to make you known to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.